This is our seventh episode of Fiddle and Pipe, and we're just coming at you with some quick announcements. We are active on Anchor and Patreon. If you go to anchor.fm slash fiddleandpipe, as well as patreon.com slash fiddleandpipe, and that has bonus episodes. I'm actually editing our ninth episode right now, and I'm going to put some bloopers and outtakes from our ninth episode on. Yeah! It should be really funny. If y'all like the podcast, you can make our podcast better, buy new equipment, and have other people on. That'd be super rad. Thank you for those who are supporting us, too. So Yeah, we really appreciate it. You could support us even more by going on iTunes and rating us, giving us a five-star review. Not a 4.5, not a 3.5, a five. <laughs> five <laughs> out of five-star review. Exactly. We'd love seeing what y'all write. If there are any other streaming services out there that allow you to rate and review, please do so. Also, because I am a dummy... I just figured out how you can get notifications on Spotify if you use that. Because Spotify, actually, when you subscribe to a podcast, you don't automatically get notifications on when your favorite episodes drop. So you got to go to the podcast page. You have to click on following and you need to make sure that the get notified of new episodes button is swiped over. So that way you can be up to date on your last fiddle and pipe episode. Because why would you want to be behind on this awesome podcast? You don't. You don't. But we'll have the content there anyway for you to listen, so you should So catch up. (laughs) If you enjoy the podcast, if you can spread the word to friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, enemies. Join our Facebook group, Fiddle and Pipe Forum. Which is now a public group. Mm Mm-hmm. It's now public. And follow us on Instagram. I'm Kat Flinch Flute. And I'm BM Ross Music. Without further ado, we present you with episode seven. (laughs) Ta-da! Hi, I'm Brittany Ross, and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Blinchin, and I play the pipe. And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. So, here we are. Another episode. Look at you talking first this time. I don't really have anything planned to say usually, so I'm just winging it. (laughs) (laughs) I like that you have the office as your background. I do. Maybe I should take a picture. You should. All right, just a second. Smile, Brady. (laughs) (laughs) I'm putting that on Instagram. Anyway. Do it. Here we are, covering chapter eight of the inner game of music. Coping with obstacles. These next few chapters were very short. Yes, they're very short. I mean, it's kind of nice after the thick boys that we just encountered, so. Yeah, and a lot of these chapters are very self-explanatory in a way. Yeah. And I think this is more based on our ex- own personal experiences and yeah. how we deal with them personally, but yeah. I kind of like that they were shorter, too. Continual creativity. The same inner game skills might not always work as you grow and develop as a musician. Uh, You need to recognize old patterns and learn how to sidestep them and how to use the inner game skills to help with your real-life problems. What I wrote down was that we need to recognize the change when it happens and be responsive to it. And I, I think that's true because not necessarily what we were doing our freshman year in college is what we're doing today. Maybe we're, in a way, we adapted some of the 
skills that were habitual in our freshman year. Yeah. <laughs> and we've... What's the word? I had coffee this morning. I promise I did. You kind of get stuck <laughs> into a routine. It's... Yeah. When you start using the same solution for everything, it's just not going to work. I think about it like a yeah. math problem. How, you know, you learn that 2 plus 2 equals 4 and you're... Okay, that's cool. I understand it. Mm-hmm. But as you get older and as your reasoning skills get more complex you start adding different math problems so the same stuff that was working for the basic stuff might not work for the harder stuff or yeah to put it into a pandemic term if you keep using the same medication and drugs for a germ it's going to get resistance to it so then you Mm -hmm. have to adapt what you're using to deal with the disease that's interesting that's a concern with the covid mutations a lot of people who aren't getting vaccinated or are only taking one dose of the pfizer moderna might be allowing the virus to mutate within their body some sense of immunity towards uh, the vaccines that we have in place. Interesting. Yeah. I don't really read this stuff. So (laughs) I'm sorry if everyone's like, why doesn't she know? (laughs) And everyone's like, Brittany sounds like a nerd. It's true. I am. (laughs) I am. I like that though. It's fine. Well, we do have a music and book podcast, so. Yes. It's nerdy as it is. <laughs> Barry Green talks about dealing with internal interference. So stuff in your brain. You got to reflect <laughs> and see which area of the awareness, skill, or trust is out of balance. And then he basically goes through and lists a little refresher of your skills. So your will skills. You got to refocus your musical goals. You got to remember why you became a musician in the first place. Your awareness skills. Being more aware of yourself and the music. Being more aware of yourself and the music can focus you in. Trust skills, trust yourself to play, and imagining yourself as someone else. I liked these. I liked more the examples that he shared. I liked them because when I practiced yesterday, I was thinking about these scenarios that happened and tried to apply them in my own practice. What really got me was the awareness one where the harpist was playing and Barry was standing behind her saying, like, don't be nervous. Instead of focusing on that voice behind her, she was focusing basically how she wanted to sound, like what she was sounding like, and how the strings felt when she was doing glissandos. And for me, I tend to get in my head a lot. I have a lot of inner thoughts that run through my brain. Usually it's if I like post something on Instagram, I sometimes worry when I'm recording a snippet of an exercise I'm doing, that there are going to be people out there judging me saying, well, she got this wrong, or she's out of tune here. That really does get in my head, and then it evolves to, well, she's not really a good player anyway, or she's just trying too hard, and she's just a wannabe. I think about that, and it really gets to me, and so instead of letting that overtake (laughs) my entire practice session and making me feel like a piece of crap I decided to just concentrate a little bit more on what was going on in the music how I felt was I balanced and I even had my window open (laughs) so I was looking out in the trees and trying to like think of things outside that would inspire me with the sounds that I was playing a little etude that I was working on and I think just thinking about that really help me get past my inner thoughts and I was actually pretty proud of my end result 
to be very honest. And I just have to keep thinking, like, no matter what people think, it doesn't matter. You're not there to impress people. You're really just there to be there for yourself. Yeah. It's more about what you're doing, what you're improving on, not what other people think. The other stories, I guess, for our listeners who maybe are not reading along with us, the Will story was a vocalist right before her jury or her final exam, and she was so nervous and not sure how she was going to do on her jury and Barry Green said, you know, why did you start playing in the first place? And she's like, oh, I love it. So she kind of reconnected with her love of music and that made her just slay her jury. And then the trust skills was a cellist who was nervous. Yeah, nervous. And he just trusted that he could play and played. He imagined he was Lynn Harrell. I'm not a cello player and I apologize to anybody that are big cello fans. I don't know who that I don't is know either. who Lynn Harrell is. <laughs> Maybe this is a really great way to expand other knowing other Our horizons. Infamous yeah. <laughs> Infamous players that are not our instrument specialty. <laughs> I don't know. You phrase you phrase that so horribly. <laughs> I I've had co- I should have made another cup of coffee for this. I feel like our morning sessions are just have such a different vibe than our afternoon sessions. <laughs> I I should make another cup of coffee. All right, so I have my coffee. Just want to rephrase what I said. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> I, I think we should probably expand our, our horizons of knowing people who play very well on their instruments that are not specifically ours. Does that make yes. sense? I don't know. Yeah. That's better. That's, That's better. better. Choosing alternative strategies. So this is basically talking about you know, once you get past the will, awareness, and trust skills, how to do other things, how to get around other situations where maybe these might not be able to be applied. You need to use your own experience to see which of the several strategies will work for you. He basically gives a bunch of examples. If you're paralyzed with fear about consequences of performance, reassess goals, which falls under will. You gotta think, what does music mean to you? Think about your experience goals and think about your performance goals. If you have problems concentrating because of self-want, instruction, and criticism, choose awareness techniques. It's me. <laughs> Sorry. Focus on your sights, sounds, feelings, and understanding. If doubt and fear are problems, use trust. So choose techniques for letting go. I thought that this was good because it kind of went beyond just talking about the AWL triangle. Mm-hmm. The owl, owl triangle. The owl triangle. I'm reading Harry Potter right now. Oh. And Dave and I are on book six. Have you noticed, though, that they never say owls? They say O-W-L. Oh, no, no, no. Actually, I lied. Hermione mentions it in the music. Or in the fifth movie. When I'm reading it, I definitely say owls. But I have noticed with various people I talk to and various, like, podcasts and forms of media, some people will say, like, O-W-Ls yeah. or N-E-W-T-S. I just watched the fifth movie recently, and so Umbridge says O-W-Ls. But Hermione says owls. Well, Umbridge is a bitch. So. Whoever casted her, though, for that movie. Perfect actress. Perfect. Like, top. Same with Helen Bohan. Is it Bonham? I don't know. Oh, I'm. You're talking about Bellatrix, right? Oh, she was perfect for that role. I'm pretty sure J.K. Rowling, before she even wrote Bellatrix Lestrange, 
she was like, who should I put in this book or like in the movie when the movie comes out who should play this character she's like oh i have the person helena uh, bonham carter bonham uh, i've never heard her name spoken in context i like this talking about our owl triangle our a w l triangle because he talks about actually applying it to real life situations instead of just as an abstract concept to apply to various situations. Yeah. No, I agree. I like that it was a little bit more realistic. Dealing with external ear 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 Dealing with external interference. <laughs> Can't speak to that. Do you want coffee? I can just <sighs> zoom it over to you. It's eleven <laughs> zoom. Cause we're on Zoom. You have four ways to deal with external interference. You can accept the obstacle without stopping the activity. That's one. Number two is you can ignore the obstacle and use mm-hmm. your awareness techniques to refocus your attention on playing. Three is you can alter the situation by mm-hmm. physically changing some aspect of the obstacle. And four is you can make the obstacle work for you. Accepting the interference. There's a comparison to internal interference of nerves and allowing them to work in your favor. Oh yeah. This is when he was talking about when you feel anxious and nervous about playing, but you can kind of train your body to feel exhilarated and excited instead of just nervous or anxious. Yes. He compared it to skiing. Of course he did. Down a slope and feeling the adrenaline. And I mean, that makes sense because I mean, if you think about it, and this is just from what I've experienced in the past, I love performing live. I'm as much as, you know, I've been doing a lot of Zoom things and recorded mm-hmm. things by myself over the last year. I miss playing live. And there's something about playing a concert live that is just so exciting. And I remember feeling that way with a group I'm in called the Nebula Ensemble. We're based in Denver and we play a lot of new music here. Sometimes we write for ourselves since we're composers ourselves. (laughs) And so I remember in January we were preparing rehearsals on Zoom and doing Zoom rehearsals and doing our best with them throughout the entire month. And then we met up in a recording studio and I was like in a separate room, same with another wind players, same with our vocalist and our string players were all together wearing masks. And it was, even though we were separated, it felt like we were still together. We were playing in the moment. We had all these recording equipment so I could hear everybody very clearly. I could see our director very clearly. It was just, it was so fun to play live again. And I was definitely nervous because I was sitting there and I was just thinking to myself, I have all this recording equipment around Mm -hmm. me, I have a camera right in my face (laughs) because we were live streaming. And even though it was live streamed, I was still nervous in a way. When we started playing the music, those nerves kind of went away. I felt more engaged in the music then than I did in Zoom rehearsals, obviously, (laughs) but it was awesome. I felt that way. The only live music I had the opportunity of doing during the pandemic has been a couple wedding gigs. I've said mm-hmm. in a previous episode, wedding gigs normally make me a little anxious, but I was so happy to be playing with people in a live setting. It was just <laughs> fantastic. Like all the concepts of this book, I think that this can definitely be applied to situations outside oh, yeah. of music. For example, any kind of major life change that you have is going to give you some amount of nervousness and anxiety getting a like your wedding oh god like my wedding (laughs) (laughs) like a wedding or a new job it's about learning to 
look at it from the approach of, hey, this is a, an exciting opportunity for me, or this is a huge deal. This is like such a big deal. And I'm excited to be going through it instead of being like, oh my God, what am I doing? What's going on? Help. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was really anxious at my wedding. You survived. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. But it's okay. I got through it's it. It's a story to tell to the entire world later For on. For real. <laughs> Check out our Patreon. <laughs> If you face an external interference and if you can still hear your playing above it, you can allow it to be there without bothering you. He says, quote, an interruption only becomes an interruption when we perceive it as such. Obviously, there, this is the first step for a reason because in most situations, I feel like once you get past the whole, oh, someone's bothering me, then you can, for the most part, redirect your thoughts and energy. Yeah. The second one, using awareness techniques to refocus attention. We literally choose to get distracted because we acknowledge the distraction instead of accepting it and moving on. That's kind of literally what I just said. So <laughs> it's okay. just refocus yourself. If you can't accept whatever's bothering you without changing yourself or the situation, try to get your mental focus back on whatever you're doing. Fun little exercise inviting distractions. So momentary interruptions are normal to be expected and hard to avoid. It's good for music. It's... It's the same in literally everything you're ever going to do in your entire life. I'm trying to think of distractions. I don't really have many. Like, other than my internal ones. Well, I mean, for me, distractions when I'm practicing at home are my three cats and my dog running around or playing with things or batting things around or David coming in and bothering me or coming in and sitting and listening to what I'm doing. So distractions don't always need to be a negative earth shattering thing, but it's just anything that disrupts your attention. I kind of miss my dog trying to, (laughs) I only because, I mean, I miss him all the time, but I just remember when I was living at home, I would have my door closed, obviously, Mm -hmm. and I'd be playing loud stuff in my room, Mm -hmm. and I would hear, like, these, like, scratching at the door. You hear that? Yeah, Yeah, because he's just like, why did you close the door on me? (laughs) And then I'll let him in, he'll just look at me, and then he'll sit on my feet. (laughs) And I'm standing there, and I'm just like, okay. And I could have been playing piccolo, the dog whistle to him. I don't know. But he just did not care how high I was playing. He would just sit at my feet and sleep. (laughs) Two of my three cats, Bartok and Vivaldi, or Vivi, they both hate closed doors. So whenever we close a door, it's actually pretty funny because whenever – we close the door, we'll open it, and Bartok always comes running in and starts screaming at us. <laughs> He's like, excuse me, mother, father, why am I left out? <laughs> excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> Lacey is the opposite. And Viv, with David's office door, if David doesn't lock the door, Viv sticks his little paw underneath it and literally rattles the door in its frame. So you just hear bing, 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 bing. <laughs> Dang! Yeah, they they do not like being left out of things. That's so funny. Lacey, every time I'm practicing, Lacey just runs away. (laughs) (laughs) It might just be because of the high pitches Mm -hmm. or something. She does not like it when I play piccolo. She can tolerate the flute, but she mostly will hide in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And then the alto, I think because it's the lowest voice, she feels it's not as penetrating to her. Mm -hmm. But I have had times where she's, like, hung out in my living mm-hmm. room, and she'll just be taking a nap or something, and then 
I'll hear like a thud <laughs> and then a bunch of like crinkling because she's inside of a box <laughs> and she's playing inside of it and I'm trying to record something new, <laughs> and I look over and I literally stare at her <laughs> or and sometimes I'll go hey and she'll quickly like jolt and look up at the loft <laughs> and just stare at me <laughs> <laughs> but this is only when we're when Woody's not home. If Woody's home, she'll just hide. She'll be with him. Like, protect me, Dad. But Cute. she's yeah, she's she's not as interrupting as your cats are. Yeah. So the <laughs> exercise. Ask a friend to distract you while practicing. And then you basically have the friend play self one, distracting you with talk and objects while practicing. And the objects that he mentioned were like a calculator and a hairdryer and something else kind of absurd. He says to be aware of how long it takes to recover from the interruption and refocus yourself. And you need to repeat it and notice changes in your recovery speed. Why didn't we ever do this? Yeah, I didn't do this, <laughs> but I, cool. I remember. Do you remember uh, Judy, the pianist at Kennesaw? <gasps> Judy Cole. Judy Cole. Yes. So I remember she told me that I think she went to CIM or CCM. And she told me that her teacher there would purposely slam books on the piano lid <laughs> to try to distract her and stuff. Because one time I asked her, how are you so good at accompanying? You know, she, like, nothing phases her. You could literally start at the wrong part of the piece and she would just catch you. Or you could have a total stage accident and she would just be there. And she told me basically her teachers desensitize her using stuff like this. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. She's a She's boss. The best. Anyway. The third option, do something about it. Many obstacles can be solved by a simple action, but often the simple action or simple solution is overlooked or forgotten in a panic state right before the event. He uses the example of drinking water if your mouth is dry or deep breathing if you have an accelerated heart rate. Then he says, in hindsight, I think that the first signs of panic are warning signals. And I put, duh, in all my notes, because <laughs> evolutionary speaking, panic is not good. Panic was what helped us, you know, escape saber-toothed tigers. So, yeah, your panic is your survival instinct. So whenever you're panicking, yeah, of course that's a warning signal. It's a big freaking warning signal, like flashing lights. <laughs> I will look into that the next time I see a saber-toothed tiger on my daily run. Just glare at Lacey. I mean, basically. Basically. He just says to think of possible actions you can take and pick one. Instead of just going into a panic-induced state about anything, a music thing or a outside of music thing, think about your possible actions and just pick one instead of sitting there frozen, anxious, panicking. Yeah. 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 It sounds really simple, but... When it actually happens... It's a lot harder to deal yeah, with. Yeah, it's about I mean. managing the self-talk to get yourself through that, you know, either through the panic or just, like, brushing up against it so that way it doesn't just completely debilitate you. Yeah. This whole section was just basically rationalizing yourself through situations that could be nasty. Yeah. The fourth one, make the interference work for you. If you can't accept or change the circumstances, you need to make the interference work for you. It might mean accepting mm -hmm. the situation. For example, if you're stuck in traffic on your way to a concert or uh, on your way to anything, there's honestly not too much you can do about it. You just kind of have to accept that it is what it is and you kind of relinqu relinquish your control over the situation. 
Or if it storms when you're playing an outside concert. Oh. Did that happen to you? I mean... Uh, that almost happened um, to me. That wedding gig. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I remember I played a outside gig in the mountains. Oh, this was actually a wedding gig I did two summers ago. Oh. <laughs> it was at Red Rocks. I was doing a wedding gig with a guitarist mm-hmm. that I played with a lot. And it was summer, and it usually likes to storm in the afternoon mm-hmm. here. Just like it does in Georgia. Yeah. I'm pretty sure everywhere. What happened was it was really nice when we got there, and I took some nice pictures. We were outside. The ceremony was great. Then getting closer to the end of the ceremony, I could see the dark clouds from the mountains <laughs> coming down. <laughs> I was just sitting there like, I don't feel safe with my flute <laughs> and lightning. No, I just don't feel safe. I don't like this situation. Because <laughs> there was like a cocktail hour, too. It was like really short right. afterwards, and so my friend and I quickly we we got our chairs and stands and we just like moved underneath this covered area Mm -hmm. underneath like a patio or something Mm -hmm. we're like we're safe oh my gosh (laughs) we're good and so he sat there and we're just like let's just keep playing (laughs) (laughs) but luckily like it didn't actually start hailing and pouring rain until after the ceremony so it's kind of like yep I guess in hindsight, I've had a few close calls with like rain and wedding gigs because I was just thinking in Milwaukee, I played a wedding gig. I think it was a, a trio or a quartet gig. I can't remember, but it was on the beach of Lake Michigan. So it was beautiful. Oh. It was beautiful and it was nice and it was pretty. And I think it was the beachfront of this person's house, I think. Mm. And so it was like really nice and very rich. But, like, you could see the storm coming in over Lake Michigan, and they got through the wedding ceremony, and there was thunder, and then as guests were leaving, it started raining, and I remember the the leader, leader in quotes, the person whose gig it was, was like, okay, pack up your instruments, we're going inside, and it was just as people were going in, so, like, I guess they just didn't even care. Yeah. So, it's just, I guess, you kind of have to cut your losses, and at that point, everyone was really understanding of what had happened. I know, and living in Georgia, too, during August... September, those two months, and even July, never ran marching band rehearsals in high school, there was always a storm. Mm. <laughs> always. And where I went to high school, we were literally on top of a plateau mm. of, like, a hill. We, we were on the top of a hill, and it was just flat. And so whenever a storm came, you can see it like that. Mm-hmm. It storms in Georgia are not fun. No. they're. <laughs> it's like heavy rain. Heavy rain. Lightning. Sometimes you might be lucky and see a funnel cloud. I've seen those few times. Uh, tornadoes. Cool. <laughs> yeah, tornadoes are a thing here. <laughs> and I just remember being in high school, and we would be marching on the field, and you see that dark cloud, and you're just like, are we really going out here? <laughs> <laughs> Can we go back inside? <laughs> and then we would literally probably march for 30 minutes, and we would have, like, a little lightning detector. Mm-hmm. And when we saw a lightning bolt, our teacher's like, okay, we're packing up, we're going inside, and we're rehearsing inside. And Yeah, because I mean, it's not safe. Especially with y'all holding all those metal instruments. You're basically lightning conductors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. We had alternatives, and we would rehearse music inside. Yeah, I mean, the gym or whatever. It is what it is. He says it also might mean using the interference to help with whatever your goal is. He uses the example of someone practicing loudly in a practice room. You could either practice something at their tempo or play a duet with them, whether they know it or not. Actually, I saw something really cool on on social media, maybe on Instagram or Facebook, but I think it was somewhere in Europe. This guy was 
playing piano in his apartment, mm-hmm. and I guess his neighbor above him could hear him, mm-hmm. and I guess his neighbor was a pianist as well. Mm-hmm. So his neighbor would respond back to whatever the guy was playing in his apartment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what video is, and I can't find it anymore. If anybody is listening and knows what I'm talking about, if you want to, like, go on our Facebook group, Fiddle and Pipe Forum, and share it, maybe I'll share it if I find it. That's going to be my homework assignment. But anyway, this guy, yeah, like, they would... Over time during the pandemic, because this was started back beginning of the pandemic, I guess. Like last March. Yeah. So they would be playing at the same exact time. This guy would be playing something on his piano, Mm -hmm. and then he would have his phone recording it waiting for his neighbor to respond, and then his neighbor would respond. So they would play, they would play like, the Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven, uh, Titanic. <laughs> I literally cried when I was listening to the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> Sorry, I, I love the movie Titanic. It's, like, the one romantic film that has my heart forever. I'll never let so. go, Jack. And then she lets him drown. There was... So much room on that damn board. There's scientific <laughs> evidence about that. I would, if Leonardo DiCaprio in 1997 was in the water with me, I'd be like, "Come on!" Oh, I mean, I'd get in the water so that way he can be on the raft. Yeah, like actually, no, sir. You, you no. A- after you, <laughs> after you, you need to stay here. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. <laughs> anyway. I'm fine. But, yeah, it was so cool. Anyway. So we get to chapter nine, improving the quality of musical <laughs> experience. This chapter was even shorter. Yeah, and I think, it, again, I think it was pretty straightforward. Yeah. Heightening your experience while pre- performing. You avoid boredom by challenging yourself. He uses the example of being a bassist and playing an opera, Verdi's Rigoletto. I'm sure we have bass listeners out there, and if you don't play bass, here's how bass parts go. Bum. <laughs> bum. Bum. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Especially in opera or musical yeah. or anything like that. It's just, it's very, for lack of a better word, dull and repetitive. And he talks about how bored he was playing this part. And he's like, why do I have to do this? And then he was like, okay, I'm going to challenge myself by memorizing my lines. And then as he did that, he became more aware of the other parts in the opera, you know, what the vocalists and actors were doing, what the other musicians were doing, how everything interrelated in the opera, which is very fun. I miss playing operas and musicals for this regard, because how many performances you have in the pit with the vocalist is so fun because you start to really get an idea of what's going on. And so as your part becomes Mm -hmm. more familiar, you start to get a better idea of what's going on in the opera. Yeah, I agree. I miss doing Especially being a violinist. uh, Sometimes I would be able to see, because I sit on the outside, so I'd be able to see just like the feet of the... (laughs) the vocalists, the singers. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of have an idea of what was going on. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I kind of got the opposite. I'd be underneath. You'd hear all the trampling around. Well, did you ever do those performances at KSU mm-hmm. where it was once a year and um, it, they weren't opera performances? Uh, it was this... Uh, I just remember I had to wake up at 4 in the morning for this because we had to be there at 7 o'clock for the starting A and... If anybody knows Atlanta traffic, well, awful. it's just, you know, if I want to go somewhere that looks like it's 30 minutes, I need to travel an hour. Yeah, you can basically be an hour and a half outside of Atlanta and still have Atlanta traffic. It was like a, 
a kids outreach because all these kids would come in to watch and it was a showcase of different art. Was that the stuff at the the Cobb Energy Center? Yes. yes. And I remember they rotated where it was like wind ensemble one year, then orchestra, and then something else the other year. I just remember for the wind ensemble one, I think if I remember correctly, I just remember I was underneath the stage and I could hear like they had dancers mm-hmm. and I could hear the stomping mm-hmm. and I was it freaked me out. I was like, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die inside this thing. <laughs> and I even felt the same way when I did opera later on in grad school, because we had a big pit, mm-hmm. unlike KSU, where it was the tiny little one. There's a big pit at um, the Newman Center here at DU, and obviously I can't see what's going on. I'm right underneath the stage. And I remember there were moments where I would just sit there, and my mind would kind of go think about the worst scenario of it falling on me. Which is literally the worst scenario. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just like, I'm not ready for That's this. That's like, you're not going to mess up a performance, but you might die. <laughs> yeah, I might die. I mean, I I don't think that is true since it's very sturdy, and I know that they take care of that place yeah. very well, but those were just my Do thoughts. you remember when we played the Magic Flute at Kennesaw, and you got a really up-and-front roll with that? Oh, yeah, I got to wear bunny ears and a tail. <laughs> I was so nervous, though, because I had to memorize the solo. I was not good at memorizing at the time. And it really scared me, but I did it. <laughs> I did it. But that was really fun, actually. I really liked I that. I was really sick when we played the Magic Flute. I don't know if you remember. I think I remember. I don't know what I had. It's been a very long yeah, time. Yeah, but I had, like, a fever and everything. It was, it was gross. He talks about finding the fine line between too much challenge and boredom. So if you're challenging yourself, it's great and you're growing, but you also you can be scared of what you're doing and kind of timid. But if you're bored, you're not invested in what you're doing and you're not learning very much. You can also burn out easily, yes. too. I think with both of those, if you find it too challenging, you might just be thinking... Call it quits. Well, like, this is yeah. too hard. The goal is to be exhilarated by a challenge instead of scared of it, since that's what helps us grow. It helps to take things one step at a time. It goes back to feeling overwhelmed or in a panic state, or by, quote, letting go to the part of you that really knows how to do it. He talks about vulnerability and how it's a major element in letting go. The example that he uses is the uncertainty that comes in live music. For example, you might know your part, and everyone else might know their part, but you don't know 100% how everything's going to play out, if it's going to be fantastic, or if it's going to be a disaster, or if it's going to vary a little bit from show to show. Every new mm-hmm. performance has a possibility for a different outcome. The vulnerability of letting go of self to control helps keep music performance alive. You need to accept the possibility of failure to become or stay vulnerable. He talks about Itzhak Perlman and how he's just this virtuosic violinist and he does all these things that have you ever seen a like problem play oh yeah he's amazing so he have you ever seen his hands the man's yes. got sausage fingers it's it's amazing that he can do the stuff that he does on violin because he's he's like he has thick hands and like very like short thick fingers i think it kind of shows that it doesn't matter what size or shape mm-hmm you know, it's the same thing with our embouchures for flutists. Yeah. It doesn't matter what size your embouchure is. And sadly, there have been <sighs> stigmas about that. 
in the flute world Mm -hmm. and in the past Mm -hmm. it's like it doesn't matter what the shape of your embouchure is you can still play flute yeah (laughs) everybody has different features yeah my thoughts on it were think about how you don't grow without taking risks yeah exactly the saying that nothing worth having is easy Mm -hmm. stuff like that music comes alive with risk taking and i feel like a lot of other elements of life do as well kind of playing off of that didn't he talk about later on in the chapter at least related to that where uh, like instead of being handed everything that you have like working towards it is kind of rewarding in a way yes that's the last exercise yeah the last exercise of oh we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. heightening your experience while practicing so practicing is obviously a little bit different when you're practicing your feelings don't need to be as linked to the music as they would be when you are performing Makes sense, because when you're practicing, you're working on a lot of technical aspects as opposed to the art of feeling like you're one with your music. But the flip side of that is if you have fun when you're practicing, it's more likely that you'll learn more and perform better, which makes sense Mm -hmm. because you're more engaged and more focused. And obviously, if you can get your brain more in tune to what you're doing, you're going to absorb and retain more information. You don't need to be serious or tense to learn, which I think is a great takeaway for classical musicians because we have a tendency and reputation of being stuffy and regimented. (laughs) The exercise, having fun while you practice. So practice for an hour and have fun with it. How I kind of perceive this is I thought, why don't I do this more often? Oh, so the examples that he uses are watch TV while practicing your exercises, alter your instrument by putting paper between strings, play without a valve or a finger, change the tuning of your instrument, record yourself on tape and play a duet with yourself, play and sing simultaneously, play your music backwards, invent a musical game of your own. So after an hour of that, make a list of what you learned about your instrument, yourself, your attention, and the music. What did you learn that would be of value in a more conventional practice session? Explore what you learned and how you can replicate it. I need to do this more. In Milwaukee, in grad school, I would practice a lot. I actually used to put my stand in front of my TV and practice during uh, football games. Oh. Like, if there was a, a late night, you know, Packers or Patriots or Falcons game that I could follow and watch... I would, I would have it on, and I would have the volume turned up just enough so that way I'd be able to, like, see or hear if something exciting happened. But football is an easy sport because it moves so slowly, and yeah. there's a lot of stop and go where I could easily practice and watch football at the same time because my mind would not be completely glued to the TV. Oh, I've done that before a million times with Falcons games. Yeah. <laughs> I would just have my, I would watch them lose, and I would have them on my <laughs> computer screen. Just in case you want to be motivated, just watch the Falcons flop. <laughs> Yeah, like, damn it. Uh, for real. Like, being a Falcons fan is the worst. I'm still not over that Super Bowl. I'm still not over it. It hurts. It stings. It stings. I had, so- I had such weird feelings about that Super Bowl because I'm from Vermont. I am a Patriots fan. They are my number one team. But Georgia, Evil. I've lived in Georgia since I was almost six, and Georgia's my home. I met my husband here. I'm married here. I have a house here. My whole life is here. So... I have some pretty serious connections with the Falcons, too. So watching that Super Bowl, it's just like, oh, man. Oh, man, I'm going to be sad either way. Oh, I think I cried. (laughs) I was so pissed. I was just like, this is our chance. They literally dropped the ball. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. I think the Falcons just saw that they're winning, and they're like, you know what? We We just don't have to play for this fourth quarter. Everything's fine. Like, they're already getting their Gatorade ready and their balloons ready. Can we just move <laughs> <laughs> Oh. It's okay. Honestly, rip. And I know that I, 
play music backwards. I would do this in Don Juan excerpts. I like doing I this. I like doing it, it really too. It really gets your brain to think. Yeah. I think it gets your brain to think a little bit more differently. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I do this more with trickier things mm-hmm. in my music, and I find it to be very helpful, and I get my students to do it. Not as intensely as I do it, I just isolate small notes and I'm like okay can you play this backwards and they're like what (laughs) and they like freak out and I'm like just four notes can you name me the four notes in that order backwards it's honestly good because it like artificially makes what you're playing harder so when you do it the right way the correct way you know forwards it seems so much easier yeah I love it I think it's such a great technique to so while I didn't do this exercise per se, I've done stuff like it in the past, and I do enjoy doing things like it. Yeah. Expanding your understanding of stress, equating... So this whole section was equating stress in real life to dissonance in music. For those of us who... Because, again, I know that we have some listeners who are not musicians or maybe not as well-versed in music as we are. So there are two things in music. You have consonants, you have dissonance. Consonants are notes that sound good together and dissonance are notes that sound bad together for example if i were to take my violin here britney's show and tell so if i were to play like these notes together you're like oh okay that's it's consonant because it sounds good but if i were to play uh these together that sounds not good. So when you have music, especially pre-modern era era Western music, it revolves around dissonance resolving to consonants. Uh, it revolves around tension release of dissonance and resolution. So he says that you can't have good without the bad. Stress, tension, and negative emotions tend to put good events in perspective. Often the best experiences come out of stress and tension. So he equates the the stress that you face in your real life as the dissonance in music and the good stuff that comes after that stress as the consonants in music. You basically have to get through the shit to get through the good stuff. And he puts it in a music sense to say, like, oh, you should value all these experiences because without the... Without the dissonance, without the negative stuff, you wouldn't get any of the good stuff. Yes. It's how you grow and have good experiences. Valuing the way you feel as well as your accomplishments. Exercise. This is exercise that you were talking about. Make a list of the times that you had a wonderful or memorable experience connected with music and felt a sense of accomplishment. For me, that was getting my master's, crushing my grad recital, being offered an assistantship at multiple schools, uh, successfully making a living solely on music. What were yours? Did you make a list? I thought more about, one, saving up money and purchasing my piccolo all by myself. Mm -hmm. That was one of my biggest accomplishments. And then also playing a minimalist piece. I've always, I love minimalism and I've always wanted to do it. And that's what I did for my grad recital. Mm -hmm. I played Steve Reich's Vermont Counterpoint. And not only is it, you're playing a minimalist piece, you're playing with eight other voices around you, and it's continuous. (laughs) And I worked my butt off for Mm. that, and I felt very, very proud of myself Mm. doing that and accomplishing that. So I think also getting to perform with a real, like, a professional symphony. Oh, yeah. That's a 10 out of 10 best experience right there. I don't know why I didn't put that. I thought it was just such a great opportunity in getting 
it's inspiring a wind of what yeah what the real world world is because they don't really teach you Mm -hmm. that in music school as much as much as you train i don't remember anything learning about what to expect when you go to rehearsals what you have to wear so different that was a big thing and then how much of your pride delight on those occasions came from one what you accomplished two feelings that went into the accomplishment and three the result of what you learned while getting there would you have valued the experience if it was easy all of the biggest accomplishments you have are basically rooted in blood sweat and tears <laughs> that's that's yep. why i put i mean there's no other way to look at it all your negative stresses push good events in perspective dedication uncertainty and sacrifice make your end results memorable and good your outlook determines the kind of experience you have basically if it was something just handed to you it wouldn't really be a memorable experience as the fact that you put yeah all this time and effort into it that makes it i went on so many pizza deliveries to get this piccolo <laughs> How many pizzas is your piccolo worth? <laughs> I can't remember. Lots of pizzas. <laughs> Lots of pizza. And that actually brings us to the end of our segment. I liked, personally, after dealing with the last couple chapters, which were like big old beefy boys, that these chapters did a really good job of kind of getting the information overload that we've gotten the past few chapters and really just wrapping mm-hmm. it together and putting them in perspective. Yeah. I definitely agree with that as well. And also, these were a lot lighter, which I think I needed this week, Mm -hmm. to be very honest. And also, I think I related a little bit more to some of the examples that were shown in here. Yeah. Versus, like, the beefy chapters, those were relatable too, but I think I resonated a little bit more with these chapters. Just what's going on in my daily life and everything. I think the beefy chapters were good and necessary to convey the i guess for lack of a better word building blocks of the inner game skills i like these because they were more relatable and how to apply them into real world situations instead of just you know presenting you with a bunch of information yeah i agree all right well this has been rad next week we will be talking chapter 10 and maybe 11 and maybe 12 and we'll keep you guys updated on our facebook group the Fiddle and Pipe Forum. Yeah. Also, I'm sure you all have noticed we have a sponsor, which is Anchor. So I hope you all have enjoyed listening to our ad the past few episodes. <laughs> I know we have. We're slowly making it. Slowly. Slowly but surely. <laughs> Join our Facebook group if you would like to discuss anything about the episode, have any ideas that you would like for future episodes, and just just talk, you know, hang out. That's Fiddle and Pipe Forum. And you can also follow us on Instagram. I'm at catflinchflute. And I'm at bmrossmusic. Well, this was great. And we will tune in again next week. So until next time. Yeah, see you guys. Thanks.